Good morning, New Denver. It's super good to see all of you. Um, so there is a myth that is told very frequently in my household, and it is something that is very rich for me, is very dear to me. Um, I would say that my character has kind of been shaped by this myth because stories have such incredible power. And I actually wrote it down this morning because I want to share it with you um, because I feel like it has so much um, to do with what we're talking about today. So <clears throat> it goes like this. In a distant land, many, many years ago, there was a boy who was slave to masters who claimed that they were greater than him simply by nature of birth. One day, a group of warriors on a mission that went awry noticed the boy and seeing great potential in him, bought him from his masters and took him to their home. It was there that the boy was given a new master, not a master of authority and of oppression, but a master of teaching. Um, this master, the teacher, um, taught the boy skills in combat and the ascetic lifestyle that the warriors um, lived. This boy, um, uh, equipping himself with both of these things, became the hero. Now, the hero was incredibly gifted in skills of combat, and because of this, he excelled in everything the warriors gave him to do. He rose quickly through the ranks, and his bower prowess and reputation became great and preceded him and all that we did. And as the hero grew in skills and reputation, the teacher found him increasingly strong-headed and willful. But, growing together, the teacher and the hero became less like father and son and more like brothers. Their relationship and love for each other grew as they became a force for good. One day, on a mission, the hero met a beautiful princess and he was entranced by her beauty. And against the wishes of the warriors, he fell in love and pledged himself to her in marriage and she became his beloved. And after years of keeping their union a secret, the beloved conceived. And fear, of their and fear of the exposure of their scandalous relationship, as well as a vision of the beloved dying in childbirth, led to, hero, led to the hero becoming desperate to save her by any means necessary. Now the deceiver. This man was a politician who was full of cunning, guile, and ambition. It was his goal to take over all the lands and become supreme ruler overall, overthrowing the democracy that was in place. He began to win over the hero with honeyed words, puffing up the hero's already inflated eagle, ego and sowing seeds of doubt in the warriors that he belonged to. And being learned in ancient wicked powers, the deceiver claimed that he could give the hero the ability to save his beloved. So, being won over by the deceit and feeling that he was at the end of his rope, the hero pledged himself to the cause of the deceiver and became the source of much evil. The hero caused the downfall of his entire warrior clan and he murdered each and every single one of his brethren, leaving the teacher alone to confront his wayward pupil. The fallen hero fled to a land of fire and shadow to finish his work, and it was there that the, the teacher confronted him on his evil. Seeing the teacher and being drunk on the blood of his brothers, the fallen hero claimed that he had brought peace, justice, and freedom to his new empire. And the teacher, astounded by this claim, said, Your new empire? 
Don't make me kill you, the fallen hero replied, feeling powerful but defensive against the chastisement of the teacher that he loved so much. The teacher replied, in rising fury, my allegiance is to the republic, to democracy. The hero, too proud to admit his faults and feeling that he deserved undying faithfulness, replied, if you are not with me, then you are my enemy. And the teacher, feeling the full weight of the fall of the hero and the task that had had come, brought out his sword, saying, I will do what I must. And doubting the skill of the teacher, the hero engaged in battle with his brother in arms. The battle raged all across the land, destroying much of what was around them in the fury of their contest. And eventually, the teacher outmaneuvered the hero and gained the advantage by securing the higher ground. And yet, the fallen hero, feeling himself invincible because of his power, made, on, made a head-on assault. And the teacher, in one fell stroke, hewed off the limbs of his brother and of his pupil, and cast him into the fire, where he burned for his hatred for his teacher and for the pain that was brought to him by his own pride. Now, I'm sure this sounds familiar to you. Does anyone know what this is from? Star Wars, right? Love it. Um, I love, I love stories. I love Star Wars. Um, but the reason that I love this so much and the reason that I bring it up today is that Anakin, um, the hero, his fall was purely brought about by his own pride. If he would have listened to the teacher, Obi-Wan, if he would have listened to the people around him, if he would have just chilled out for one second and not let um, the deceiver, Emperor Palpatine, um, inflate his ego and believe that he could save everything, then all of the next trilogy wouldn't have happened. Then all of this conflict would have been avoided. Um... Today we are going to talk about humility and pride, and we're going to use um, two proverbs today, because we're continuing our series in proverbs, we're going to use two proverbs to talk about this. One proverb is going to be concerned with um, pride and the consequences of pride, and the next proverb is going to be concerned with humility and what humility gains us. So, first... Um, The first proverb that we're looking at today really, really has a lot to do with Anakin. It says, this is in Proverbs 16, 18. It says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride goes before the fall. We've all heard this. This has made its way into just modern vernacular, not even realizing that this is biblical. Pride goes before the fall. And the reason for this being is that pride in and of itself is idolatry. Pride in and of itself is something where we raise ourselves to the throne of God. And now it's really easy for us to think that pride is simply arrogance. And I believe that arrogance is always pride, but pride is not necessarily arrogance. Does that make sense? So arrogance is always prideful. When we are arrogant, like Anakin was, when we think that we ourselves are better than everybody, where we ignore the counsel of the people around us because we think we're smarter or more well-equipped, that's arrogant and that is prideful. But not all pride is arrogance. Pride is self-centeredness. There's this idea that um, a lot of times pride is not necessarily, oh, I think really, really highly of myself. I think pride can take the form of I really, really don't like myself. And all I can think about is how much I don't like myself. Um, The thing about pride is that it's not necessarily arrogance. It's just self-centeredness. 
Um, When we become prideful, we cease to think of other people. And when we cease to think of other people, we, we collapse in on ourselves and choose to only focus on ourselves. So that could be, I'm so great, I love myself, so I'm going to think about myself a lot. Or that could be, I really don't like myself and all I can think about is how much I don't like myself. Opposite ends of the spectrum, still pride. The reason that I say pride is idolatry is because when we are prideful, we usurp the throne that God should be on. When we um, are prideful people, we put ourselves as number one, our number one and only priority. Um, Pride looks like I'm going to look out for me, myself, and I, and I don't care about anyone else who gets in the way. And that's something that has kind of permeated our culture. In fact, that's something that sometimes even um, like people try to get you to do that. It's it's praised for you to be prideful and say, you know what? I don't care about other people. I'm going to succeed. I'm going to try my hardest to do whatever I can to work up the ladder so that I can end up on top. And there's this American idea that that's what we should shoot for. Achieve at any means necessary. No matter who you step on, no matter who you hurt, you go out and get what is rightfully yours. When we do that, we put ourselves as the number one priority and then God ends up being taken off of his throne. That is idolatry. That is idol worship. Where we become the idol and God becomes number two. Where we worship solely ourselves and we are solely um, we are solely putting ourselves on the throne. And the reason that this goes before destruction or the fall is that when we build up this idea that I am better than everyone else or that um, I deserve everything or that um, I'm supposed to be number one in everything when life inevitably proves us wrong when life inevitably shows us someone who is better than us at something or when we inevitably fail at something um, this persona that we have created for ourselves this God of self that we have created and continue to worship comes tumbling down and we have this identity crisis When we choose to put ourselves as God, we will fail ourselves. I promise you. When you choose to put yourself as number one and when you choose to make yourself God, you will fail yourself. And that, that um, is the destruction that this proverb is talking about. You will fail, and then this ego that you created yourself will come crashing down, and um, you will no long, you'll have this identity crisis because what I thought I was is obviously wrong, so now what do I do? Um, in Proverbs 3.34, um, there's another reason why pride is dangerous. It says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Um, we're going to talk about humility a little bit more later, but I think this is true because it says that God is a jealous God. So when we um, raise ourselves as the God that we worship, when we raise ourselves as number one and we put ourselves on the throne that God and God alone should be on, um, God opposes us and puts things in our way um, so that eventually that ego is then toppled. We build this false self that can't withstand reality. And when faced with reality, there is a crumbling of the self that leaves us broken and in a worse state than before. Pride goes before destruction. 
So pride is idolatry. Pride is this idea that we are number one and no one else is. This idea that I'm going to take care of myself and I don't care about anyone else. And this it's this self-centeredness um, that completely takes over our life. But um, humility, on the other hand, is the exact opposite. So um, Proverbs 15.33 says, Wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord and humility comes before honor. Wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord, and humility comes before honor. So real quick, let's get some definitions out of the way. Um, Pride is self-centeredness. It's idolatry. We focus just on ourselves. Humility, I think we love to have this idea that humility is like... If you're good at something, you try to get people to believe that you're not really good at it. Like if you've been playing guitar for 12 years and people are like, oh, you play guitar? Like that's super cool. And then you're like, oh, well, like I'm not really that good. You know, like we, we think that it's it's like lying to people about how good you are about things. Like, oh, yeah, in high school, you know, I did this and that. But like I really wasn't that good. Um, that's not humility. That's just kind of like like a pick me girl or like a pick me person. Person. I guess they're pick me men too. That's like a like, um, oh, well, like I'm really just going to take myself down so that someone can be like, oh, no, you were actually really, really good about that. It's almost like fishing for a compliment. Um, true humility. This is by C.S. Lewis. Super awesome guy. Um, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. Um, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. So true humility is not thinking, oh, I suck at all these things, or I'm really, really bad at these things that I'm actually good at. Um, True humility is not even considering about how good you are at those things. It's just looking out for other people. True humility does not care about how good or bad I am at a thing because I'm looking out for other people. True humility um, doesn't care about the state I'm in because I'm simply looking out for other people, for the people around me. So true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And it's really, really interesting because in this proverb and all across the Proverbs, humility and wisdom are deeply tied to this phrase that pops up all over the Bible, the fear of the Lord. Um, the fear of the Lord is this really, really bible phrase um, that has a ton of really, really deep meaning. But a gross oversimplification of this, praise, of this phrase is that the fear of the Lord is simply acknowledging where you are and where God is. The fear of the Lord is simply acknowledging that God is God and I am not. It's acknowledging that God is the creator of the universe and I am simply inside of that createdness. The, the fear of the Lord is realizing that God is worthy of all um, glory and praise and I am the one who is built to give him glory and praise. The fear of the Lord um, is acknowledgement that God has unlimited cosmic power um, without an itty bitty living space. He has unlimited cosmic power and yet we are just people. We are a blip on the screen of eternity. It's this realization that God is God and God is God and while I may be his beloved, I am not the center of the universe. The fear of the Lord is acknowledging the reality and the power of God and rea- realizing how you are not that. So humility and wisdom and the fear of the Lord commingle and they they give birth um, to a new lifestyle, to a wise lifestyle. And it says that humility um, comes or it says that with humility comes honor. Um, So 
the thing about Proverbs is that they're a look at things and they're not um, prescriptive, meaning that they don't prescribe the way things should be. It's just a look at the world and a wise person saying, this is the way things are. Um, so most of the time when I read Proverbs, I'm like, I read it and then I say, like, oh, true. And I think that's kind of what happens here. Um, he says, before humility comes honor. And I've noticed that when I look around my own world, when I look around the people around me, if I see someone who is utterly selfless, when I see someone who is constantly giving to other people, when I see someone who is always looking out for the needs of others, people give them honor. There is a man um, in my undergrad. He was a professor, just about the most godly dude I've ever met. His name is Dr. Henry. He's the coolest person ever. He incessantly looked out for other people. He incessantly was looking towards the needs of others, and he was the most pastoral, loving person I have ever met. You could not go on campus and meet Dr. Henry and not feel like the most seen and loved person. And he was the exact person to, if you needed him, he would drop everything that he was doing and he would go to you. He was the kind of person who gave above and beyond um, towards church. He he volunteered and started... Um, this uh, nonprofit called Trash Mountain Project, um, where they go and they find people who live in these trash communities and they help them uh, escape their extreme poverty. And he did he did all of this stuff, and he was always, always, always looking out for other people. And on campus, you would think he was like next to Jesus. It was insane um, because the entire the entire student body of MCC just revered this man because of how much um, humility he had and how much he was willing to give himself for the sake of other people Um, before humility comes honor. Because he was so humble and because he gave himself so much to the people around him, he was followed with honor. The students of MCC and honestly pretty much everyone who ever met him honored him because it was so obvious how godly and how loving he was to the people around them. Um, So we are to strive for humility. We're not supposed to be self-centered. We're supposed to think about other people. And this is not just because we're chasing honor. Um, Like I said, this is descriptive and not prescriptive. So this is just a description of what naturally happens. If you are humble, it is generally true that people will honor you. But that's not why we are humble. There is a deeper and much more profound meaning um, behind why we are humble. And that's found in the New Testament. Um, So Philippians Two is a major, major passage that describes Christ, that describes the way Jesus is. And um, because of that, we understand a lot of who Jesus is and a very, very deep part of his character um, that comes into play in this discussion. So I'm going to start halfway through the chapter um, and then we're going to go back to verse three. So I'm going to start after verse three first. This is starting in verse 5. It says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he emptied himself, taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One of the, one of the most profound characteristics of Jesus is his humbleness is his humility, is his, um, is the way that he stepped down from being God himself into being human. Um, this profound humility is something that we are called to imitate. This profound humility is something that we are called to strive after because it says in Ephesians 5 um, that we are to be imitators of Christ as dearly loved children. In fact, the word Christian simply means to be a little Christ. It is our one goal as people who are following Jesus to try to act like Jesus. So the reason that we chase after humility is not because we're chasing after honor. It is to be like Christ. So Christ was humble, um, not only because he gave up um, his throne in the heavens and came down to earth as a human, but he lived even by our standards, an incredibly humble life. An incredibly humble life. Nazareth was very, very, very poor. He was born into a poor working class family. He was a poor person his whole life. And he lived this incredible life of um, asceticism and of humility and of poverty willingly. Um, So Jesus not only emptied himself, becoming um, the very form of uh, people, becoming a human, but he also humbled himself even by our standards, not taking the throne of a king or of a god, which he totally could have. They they would have been very ready to accept him as a god in their presence. Um, He decided to come as someone who is humble, a humble teacher. And he humbled himself so much to the point that he knew that he had to die for humanity. Jesus humbled himself to the point that he would give himself up for humanity. In fact, he gave himself up for the ones who falsely accused him and who put him on a torture device for false reasons. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. One of the most absolutely excruciating ways to die. He humbled himself and died that death for us, even while we were still sinners. He did that for us. So we're supposed to emulate that kind of humility, (laughs) that kind of humility that um, dies for other people even when they don't deserve it, that not even dies for other people when they don't deserve it, but dies for the very people who are abusing them. We are called to emulate this kind of humility, which is a tall order. Um, That is a big, big, big task to fill. Those are really big shoes to fill. And I'm just left with like, well, how do you how do you even start with doing that? How how can I even get close to having that kind of humility? Um, Well, Paul in the verses before kind of gives us a place to start. So starting in verse three. Actually, I'm going to get a running start and start in verse 2. It says, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded and having uh, and being one in spirit and of one mind. And then in verse 3, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, count others above yourself. So he says that we are called to act our entire lives looking out for other people. 
Um, humility is a really, really weird characteristic because you can't just act humble. You have to be humble. Like you can totally do humble things, but still be prideful. Um, you, if you want to be truly humble, you need to be humble and not just do humble things. Um, so it's something that both takes all of your time and none of your time at the same time, because it's just the way that you are. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a way of living. So it takes all of your time because you never, ever, ever stop being humble. You don't turn it off and then turn it back on later. Um, you never, ever stop. It is simply the way that you are. But it also takes none of your time, because if it's just the way that you are, then you go through life doing whatever you want, but you just live in this humble mindset. So it takes all of your time and none of your time at the same time, because it's a transformation thing. It's not just an action thing. But before the transformation, I think sometimes you got to fake it till you make it. And so here are some ways, because I have struggled with pride big time in my own life. Here are some ways that I have found um, to kind of fake it till you make it and to do some actions that at least lower yourself so that hopefully you can get into that mindset of humility. Um, so first, <clears throat> he says... Um, to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, and in humility count others above yourself. The way that I see this going is that we are called to serve. Every single one of us. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you are called to serve the people around you. And that can look like literally anything. Um, it could look like the classic example is like if you have an elderly neighbor, go mow their lawn for them. Go pick up their leaves for them. Um, don't like expect any pay. Just do it to simply be kind and to lower yourself and to serve them. Um, this kind of service, a service is a naturally humbling thing because a lot of time the things that you do when you serve are kind of sucky. And so we don't naturally want to do them. But when you do that, you lower yourself and saying, I'm valuing you over over my own self, and therefore I am going to do this task for you. Um, another thing um, that I really, really am a huge proponent of is using your hangs to, to serve other people. Using your free time and using your um, your friendship to serve other people. We all know those people who don't really have anyone around them. We all know those people who have been ostracized by communities. We have all seen those people. So go serve someone else by hanging out with them. Even if they're not your number one Choice, even if they are obnoxious or smell or whatever, um, use your friendship to serve them. Use your friendship to be the person to um, rescue them from loneliness, to rescue them from solidarity. Um, use your uh, friendship to hang out with them. Um, I think one of the best ways that we can do that is um, by serving the homeless population. Um, there is a pretty large homeless population in Denver. And a lot of times they just get ignored as if they were, I don't know, just part of the city. We, we don't look at them or we try to not notice them in the same way we try to not notice like trash cans around us. We just not make eye contact, look forward, and maybe um, they won't try to talk to us. I think that is a deeply, deeply not Christ-like thing to do. And I do it a thousand times. I do it all the time. So I'm absolutely preaching to myself as well as y'all. Um, 
one of the greatest ways that we can make an impact to those people is, yes, by serving their needs. Um, we can absolutely give them money or give them food, whatever. Um, but truly creating relationship with them, truly creating friendships with them, truly creating them or, or, or uh, uh, treating them <laughs> as if they were human and not just a homeless person, but as if they were truly human who has dignity and needs respect, um, treating them that way and creating friendships with them can change a life. Creating friendships with them and creating lasting relationships with them where we truly get into their lives and get our hands dirty and try to actually help them through the things that they are going through is incredibly difficult, but incredibly powerful. Um, I'm not saying this as something that's like, oh yeah, just go do this. Like this is a tall order, but I believe, I deeply believe that this is something that we are called to. So serve the people around you, whether that's raking leaves, hanging out with the weirdo, or hanging out with um, homeless people reaching into their lives. Serve the people around you. Um, next, in verse 4, he says, um, I'm going to start at the end of verse 3. It says, rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So this is where um, we really get into a different headspace, to the different humility headspace. First, he says, do these things. Serve other people. Don't ever look for just yourself, but look out for other people. And then next, he says, have a mindset of service. Have a mindset of humility. Look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. This is where I really, really, really have struggled in my own life. Um, it's one thing to just do humble things. It's one thing to go out and serve other people. It is an entirely different thing to change your mindset, to change the way that you think. And um, this is where we really move from just acting humble to being humble, this mindset change. And it's incredibly difficult. So again, here are some ways in my life that I have found to try to get through this. Um, what I have done when I've been working on this is that I have allowed in my own prayer life only two sentences of prayer for myself. And then the rest of it has to be prayer focused on either worshiping God or um, intercession or praying for other people. Um, I noticed that within my own prayer life, it was a really, really good indication of where I was at because I could totally pray for like 15 minutes and not say a word about God or other people. I would be so worried about myself. Like God, help me with this sin. God, help me with this test. God, help me with this and that. And I would be so focused on myself that I was feeding my own pride, even within my own prayer life, even within something that should be godly. I was feeding this, this monster of pride that was in myself. So I said, no more of that. I'm allowing two sentences of prayer for myself. And then the entire rest of my prayer life needs to be focused on God or other people. Um, and that was something really, really manual that helped me out a lot and helped me to get my focus not set on myself, but on other people. Other little things, um, learn to like be okay with people cutting you in line or cutting you off in traffic or learn to be okay um, with uh, maybe not 
well, I guess the harsh way to say it is learn to be okay with the fact that not everyone is catering their every whim to you. Learn to be okay with the fact that sometimes at McDonald's it takes a little bit longer than you think it should. Learn to be okay with the fact um, that there is a huge line and other people also have things to do. And it's okay that you have to wait for a little bit longer. Learn to be okay that everybody has stuff going on. So I-25 is absolutely cram-packed. Learn to be okay with just sitting. And maybe you're late, but it's not the end of the world. Learn to be okay with the little things that inconvenience you. The little things that remind you that you are not the center of the universe. And then the final thing that I did that really, really helped me out with this um, is think about what you are posting and why you are posting it. Um, I could not handle this even when I even when I um, tried to work on this when I had social media. I could not stop focusing on myself on posts. I could not stop looking at how many likes I got. I could not stop about. Uh, I could not stop worrying about this persona that I was putting forth into the community. So I had to completely act social media because I am just too prideful for that. Um, I had to get that out of my life because it was too much for me. That could not be the case for you. I feel like I am an extreme case of pride, but um, for you, why are you posting these things? Are you posting to build yourself up? Are you posting to build other people up? Are you posting to just stir up conflict? Um, Why are you posting? What kind of person are you putting forth for the entire internet to see? So yeah, something about humility is that it's kind of elusive because as soon as you're like, dang, I'm getting pretty good at this humble thing. Well, there you go. That's that's not humility. <laughs> um, so it's really elusive because it's not just something we do. It has to be focused on transformation. Um, we cannot just act humble. We have to be humble. And I deeply, deeply believe that the Holy Spirit is the only one who can do that for us. The Holy Spirit is the only person who can uh, take this thing that we want and turn it into true transformation. So above Above all of this, above all of these actions that I told you, above all of these steps that you can take, um, the number one thing, the number one thing that you have to start off with in order to be holy is that you have to pray for holiness. Because transformation is not within our hands, it is within the Holy Spirit's hands. So pray for holiness. And I've heard that this is the most dangerous prayer that you can pray because God gives holiness through humiliations. So it's a really, really dangerous thing. It's kind of one of those prayers that God will answer like 100% of the time. Because when we pray for humility, God gives us humility through humiliations. Um, This lowering of the self, when we ask for it, will be given to us. And it will be given to us through things that can be very uncomfortable. But... The chipping off of the prideful self, the chipping off of the sinful self, um, that is all something that is absolutely worth it. And it's all something that will transform us um, to deeply, deeply look more like Jesus. So today, we're actually going to practice that together. Um, We are about to engage in a worship practice, um, communion. And communion is kind of a time where we get to put our money where our mouth is. Communion is a time um, where we get to practice this thing. Um, I believe um, that Jesus said, uh, this is my body and this is my blood. I believe that um, because he said that, that when we engage in communion, somehow, spiritually, mysteriously, we get to run 
rub shoulders with Jesus. That in, in some mysterious spiritual sense, we get to rub shoulders with Jesus in a way that is abnormal from everyday presence of Christ. So um, God's holiness is so powerful that it's contagious. And when we rub shoulders with Jesus, when we take communion, and when we partake in his presence that is deeply more profound in the communion, we rub shoulders with Christ and are then changed by that experience. So today, we're going to rub shoulders with Jesus by taking communion together. And when we do that, if you are up to the challenge... I would encourage you to pray for humility, to start this process of throwing off the old sinful, prideful self, to start this process of shaking off that sin that so easily entangles and to break the illusion that we are the center of the universe and to then embrace God as the true purpose for everything. So during communion, as you are rubbing shoulders with Jesus, pray for humility. Use that time to ask God to make you like him so that you can deeply, deeply experience him and so that you can then be changed by that experience. Um, So after we pray, um, as soon as I say amen, you are free whenever you want to come up on either side and to grab one of these cool little packages. Um, And you can just take it on your own time. Um, Feel free to sit down and pray. Feel free to stand up. The band's going to be playing for a little bit. Engage with God in the way that is best for you. And then take that communion and experience Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are God and you are good. And we confess that sometimes we fall short of the standards that you have set for us. God, we think of ourselves before other people, and we choose to put ourselves before even you, and we are deeply sorry, and we humbly repent. God, we ask that in this, that you would teach us to put you and others before ourselves, that we would, as you did, take up our own cross and follow you, and that we would crucify this God of self and follow you um, to true humility and to valuing others above ourselves. We love you so much. We thank you for these gifts that we are about to receive. It's your name we pray. Amen.